0: It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit Ellerslie.com. Well, if you have your Bibles, John 15. Uh, We're kind of wrapping up a little series that we've been walking through, uh, looking at the I Am statements of Jesus. I'm actually really excited. Uh, This is probably, of all of them, probably my favorite one. And uh, I had pondered the idea of spending several weeks here uh, just because there's so much content and so much richness, uh, but I decided that uh, rather than spending, uh, you know, the next months <laughs> uh, locked down into one <clears throat> of these I AM statements, uh, we'll just kind of give a cursory overview of the I AM statement, and then uh, maybe at some point I'd love to go back and just walk through uh, John 15 maybe more in detail uh, at some point in the future. Uh, <clears throat> over the last several weeks and months that we've been walking through all this, uh, we were looking at the different I am statements. Again, the I am statements is the statements in the book of John where Jesus gives the declaration, I am, referencing that same uh, unspeakable name of God back in uh, the book of Exodus where God spoke to Moses. And he's giving this concept or giving this illustration that he's equating himself with. In other words, it's not just, uh, you know, I'm having a good day. It's I am, and he gives something Uh, This predicate that basically he's equating himself with two things. Uh, As we walk through this, in John 6, we said that uh, we were walking through the idea that Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Uh, In John 8, he says, I am the light of the world. In John 10, he says, I am the door or the gate of the sheep. Uh, Later in John 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. Uh, In John 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And in John 14 that we looked at last week, uh, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, And the life. Isn't it interesting that the very first of those I am statements, so I am the bread, the light, the door, and the good shepherd, those were given publicly to to the big crowds. The fifth one, which is the I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus gave privately to Martha, right uh, at the same time where Lazarus had died. But these last two, I am the resurrection and the life, and the one that we're looking at today, I am the true vine. Jesus gave privately to just the 12 disciples. So it's in the upper room discourse. He's sitting around, right? They have the communion meal. Uh, He had washed their feet, and he gathers them together, and he makes these phenomenal statements. Uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then here we are in John 15. He says, I am the true vine. Just find that really fascinating. Uh, One other just quick overview thing just to remind us all is with each of these I am statements, it's really important to recognize that that Jesus is not saying, well, this is who I once was. This is saying this is who I am and forever will be. Uh, that it's Jesus in the present tense. It's that kind of an idea. So the fact that he says, I am the true vine, was he a true vine yesterday? Well, yeah, that's true. But the emphasis of the passage in each of these I am statements is that it is a present tense thing, which means he is the true vine right this very moment. He is the way and the truth and the life right this very moment. And yes, he was this way yesterday. Yes, he will be this way tomorrow. But the, the thrust of the, of the concept is right now, smack dab in the middle of your life with whatever it is that you're dealing with, this is who he is, which is just encouraging, at least, <laughs> at least for me. <clears throat> uh, again, as you just for context sake, uh, John 14, 15, and 16 uh, is the upper room discourse. And 13, uh, he's, he's, they're in the upper room. He washes their feet. Again, we know from the other Gospels that they take the communion meal, and then he begins this incredible discourse, talking to his disciples. Uh, in John 17, he's going to go into the high priestly prayer, talking uh, and praying to the Father. But John 14, 15, 16, uh, Jesus is, in one sense, kind of giving the last hoorah message to the disciples. Uh, they're obviously discouraged. They know something must be up. Uh, he said, hey, I'm about to leave you, hey, but hey, don't worry, I'm not going to forsake you. Hey, don't worry, I'm going to send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, to you. And, and there's this, there's this sobriety to the to the evening. Uh, there's deep concern because Jesus is heading somewhere, and, and where where is he going? And in the middle of all this, in John fourteen verse twelve, uh, Jesus says, "Truly, truly, I say to you, he get this. This is so crazy. He who believes in me will do the works that I do, and he will do greater works than these, because I am going to my Father." Is that not the most insane passage you've ever heard? Uh, we always look at Jesus and we're like, oh, if I could just, I, I, I can't do or live like Jesus. Why? Well, because he's God, and that's true. He is God. But you realize that as he came as a man, he limited himself as a man to function and have the resource that you and I have access to, which means he did not have any advantage over you. Well, how did he do what he did? He did not do what he did because he's God. He is God. But he did what he did because he's a man filled with God. He was full of the Holy Spirit. And so I look at Jesus, and suddenly I give myself all these excuses. Because, you know, I know I'm supposed to act like Jesus and talk like Jesus and think like Jesus and have the mind of Christ. And, but I'm not God, and I can't do it, so hey, I, I have an excuse. Biblically, you have no excuse. Because the reality is, is, yes, he is God, and I will fight you on that one. I mean, he is God, but the reality is he did not do what he did out of his godness, he did what he did out of his, he's a man filled with the Holy Spirit. And all that comes back to this verse 12 idea, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, do you realize that everything you've been seeing me do, all, all, all the activities, all the miracles, all the, all the language stuff, I mean, everything that you've seen in my life, you realize that you are going to be able to do that too. In fact, Jesus says, you'll be able to do even greater stuff than I've done. Now, if he did what he did because he's God, which he is, but if he if he merely functioned out of his godness, there is no way that his disciples could do greater works, let alone the works. Does that make sense? So here's Jesus, and he says, "Hey, I am going to leave." I, I don't I don't mind the participatory. You can you can shout and yell if you want to. <laughs> There's only a few of us in the room, but hey, we can talk back and forth. <clears throat> if 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 Jesus says, "Hey, I." You can just not only do what I've done, you can do greater stuff. The question to me becomes, how on earth is, is that going to be ever pulled off? How, how on earth are we going to pull this thing? How, how, on earth are, how on earth can we live the life of Jesus? And how on earth can we do the works, let alone the greater works? And Jesus actually explains it. He says, because I am going to my Father— He says, because I'm going to the Father and because the Holy Spirit's going to be dumped upon you, do you recognize that the life that is inside of me is going to be inside of you? And if the life that is inside of me, the Holy Spirit, is going to be inside of you and my spirit is actually going to invade your life and literally bring about the reality of my life in and through you, you realize that not only can you do the works that I'm doing, but you'll actually be able to do greater works because my spirit lives within you and I'll be sitting at the right hand of my Father. Isn't that a crazy thought? That to me is insane. And very exciting, by the way. Uh, Later on in John chapter 14, uh, around verse 23, he talks about, let me just read it. Uh, John 14, 23, Jesus says, If a man loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home, some translations say abode, with him. Uh, Jesus has been talking several times throughout this upper room discourse about this uh, home, abode, uh, the King James says mansion, and there's this idea of, you know, hey, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you so that where I am, you can be also. Uh, There's this idea of, hey, right where your life is, is right where, excuse me, is right where we are going to be. Uh, Isn't it interesting that that same word for home, that, hey, we're going to come to you And in you, we are going to make our little abode. We're going to make our home. That same word for home or abode is the same word that we're about to get to in John 15 for the word abide. Jesus says, you know what we're going to do? We are going to abide with you. We're going to abide in you. And we're, it's actually, it's it's a slightly different grammatical word. But the idea, the root of that is this home, this is is an abiding thing. This thing is a resting thing. This thing is a remaining thing. And again, it all comes back to this thrust of the Holy Spirit, right? In verse 25, 26, he says, I have spoken these things to you while I am still with you. But, verse 26, the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have told you. Peace I leave with you, peace I give to you. So here they are, here are the disciples, they're worried, they're fretting, they're concerned. Jesus looks at them and says, hey, don't worry, I'm sending my comforter to you, hey, don't worry, I'm, I'm going to make my home with you, and hey, you're going to do greater works than I've even done. Why? Because I'm going to feel you. Now, <clears throat> he sets all that up and finally comes to the illustration. So in one sense, what he's doing, ch- chapter 14, is kind of giving the overview, the concept, uh, here he is in 15, and he gives the illustration to that concept. He says, do you know what all this is about? Uh, let me give you this illustration. Uh, this idea of the home, this idea of the Holy Spirit, this, this idea of the greater work kind of stuff. And he comes into in John 15, and he talks about vine and branches. Now, I want to read it in just one second here. But you need to understand from their context and from their lens, this would make sense to you or make sense to them, right? They live in an agricultural society. Uh, they're walking down the road, and as they're walking down the road, there's vineyards all over the place. Now, this is not Italy, so please understand, you know, this is not like the beauty of Italy. Uh, this is the Middle East. So there is a difference when we're talking about vineyards, right? But the fact that water was, was the number one commodity, the fact that a lot of times the water was, was uh, polluted, right? It would sit in the cisterns and it would kind of grow corrupt and moldy and, and stuff. Wine was not a luxury. Wine was a necessity. Now, you cannot take that and bring it into our culture and apply this into your life. But in their day, in their cult I'm sorry, Nick, but in their day, and <laughs> sorry. but in their day, and in their culture, wine was not like this luxury thing. This wasn't like, oh, let's have a glass of wine over dinner," that wine was a, this is the way that we can actually get some liquid in our system so that we can survive. right? And whether you want to argue it was more like grape juice or more like wine, that you can study that out and it doesn't matter. <clears throat> but the reality is, is we're not talking drunkenness. We're talking about the fact of survival, right? And <clears throat> so Jesus is using this illustration of this vine and the branches. And again, the vineyards are not like, they're not all over Israel in the sense of like, uh, like what you think of like Italy or, you know, parts of California. But there are a whole bunch of vineyards. Now vineyards, they, the, 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 the importance of the vineyards in Israel is not for looks, Right? You, you, go, you take the tours of the vineyards in, like in California or Italy, and they're beautiful, and you, you know, they have these great vines flowing, and, right, and they can trace the, the history of the vines back you know, sometimes hundreds and hundreds of years. <clears throat> the, the whole, again, the whole purpose of the vineyards in Israel is survival stuff. So we're, <clears throat> we're less concerned about how they look. We just want healthy vines so that we can have the fruit of the vine, so that we can actually have some, some nourishment kind of stuff. So you've got to think, think of it in that sense. Uh, biblically, <clears throat> this idea of vine and branches and wine is used all over the place to talk about Israel, to talk about blessings and cursings, that, hey, when, when God blesses Israel, well, what is that going to be seen as? Oh, the the, the grapes and, and the and the wine is going to be abundant. Hey, when God curses Israel, what is that going to show up? Well, it's, it's going to be drought, and there's not going to be any wine. So this language of vine and branches— of wine, grapes, all that kind of stuff. is all over the place in Scripture, and I encourage you to study those out at some point. In fact, uh, Ezekiel 15 is a really important passage. Uh, Ezekiel 15 talks about the fact that here's Israel, and Israel has wandered and needs to repent. But God says uh, in Ezekiel 15 that Israel, you have become a dead branch, and the only thing good for you is fire. Which... Seems interesting because Jesus kind of picks up on that here in John 15. Uh, But this is what one writer says about Ezekiel 15. The branches of the vine are good for only two things, fruit or fuel, bearing or burning. Isn't that a great statement? I love that summary. So let's dive into this. Uh, If you have your Bibles, John 15. I just want to read through just this illustration that Jesus gives you. So uh, just bear with me. I'm just going to read a whole bunch of passages, but it's good just to have it in the context. John 15, verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that bears no fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean through the word which I have spoken to you. Remain or abide in me, and I also abide in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If a man does not abide in me, he is thrown out as a branch and withers, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. You will ask whatever you desire, and it shall be done for you. My Father is glorified in this, that you bear much fruit, so you'll be my disciples. As the Father, verse 9, As the Father loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. I have spoken these things to you, that my joy may abide in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no A greater love is no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. I no longer call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master does. But I have called you friends, for everything that I have heard from my Father have I made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, that the Father may give you whatever you ask ask in my name, this I command you, that you love one another. Now I don't know if you just heard the tone of that passage, but the big impetus of that passage is, abide. 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 Abide, abide. Abide, abide. Abide. So what should you be doing? Abide. Now get this. Jesus says in verse one, and he repeats it back uh, down in verse five, "But Jesus says, "I am the true vine." Now you recognize that by, by the mere fact that Jesus says, "I am the true vine," He is distinguishing himself from every other vine, which obviously must be false. In other words, there's a presumption in the passage that there are vines that I can turn to and I can abide in that does not produce the life, because it's only the true life, that true vine that produces the life. But there are false vines that I can connect myself to, which therefore do not give me life. It sucks life from me. It only produces death. Now, we mentioned this last week. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If Jesus is life, then anything outside of Jesus is death. If Jesus is truth, then anything outside of Jesus is a lie. And it may be factual, but the moment I begin to build my life upon whatever this is, uh, for example, uh, society says that. Uh, this is what this is what success looks like and so if you do these certain things you'll have success is that true yes hey if i stomp on your head and i and i climb the corporate ladder and will i have success yes that is a fact but when i get to the very end of that i'll actually find out that it was all a lie because what i was actually aiming for was truth and all i found was death and a lie does that make any sense Jesus says, that I am the true vine, and this true vine, it produces life within you, which means anytime I connect myself to any other power source, any other vine, any other source of life that is not Jesus, I actually find that it's only going to produce death, and it's going to suck the life from me. I just find that really fascinating. Again, Jesus says, and it really comes to a point in verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches— he who abides in me, and I in him, will bear much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Now, the word there, abide, which I think shows up ten times in our passage. The word abide, I love this. It's the Greek word minnow. M-E-N-O. Mino. Meno. Uh, the Greek word minnow <clears throat> has this idea of like to sink down into. Uh, my, my favorite illustration is like the Lazy Boy Recliner. Right, So you get home after a long day and you, and you sit in this lazy boy recliner and the lazy boy just kind of sucks you in, right? And you're just, uh, you know, you kick up the footrest and what are you doing? You are abiding. <laughs> you are resting. You are remaining. It's that kind of an idea, right? It has, it's this idea of abide, has like to sink down into, has this idea of to hold tight to, has this idea of to remain, has this idea of to stay fixed in one place, it has this idea of to, uh, to hold onto my my favorite definition for abide though is refusing to depart do you know what the job description of the branch is it is to refuse to depart from the vine that it is to rest in the vine yes it is to hold tight to the vine yes it is to remain in that vine yes but the key of that whole thing is that the, the branch must refuse to ever leave the life source of the vine. Uh, one of the Greek lexicons translated that word "meno." this word abide, this way. I thought it was so interesting. They, the the dictionary uh, in Greek said, it was an inward, enduring personal communion. What is abiding? It is an inward, enduring, personal communion. So what is the branch to do with the vine? It is to have an inward, enduring, personal communion with the vine. That an interesting thought. You recognize that communion takes work you cannot put communion on autopilot right look at any relationship you actually have to work at relationships (laughs) which stinks you want to be great you just turn on a switch called relationship and you just float you just oh i'm good right but no you have to fight for the relationship you have to work at the relationship you have to develop the relationship you have to maintain the relationship that's this idea of abiding that it's not just like, well, I said a prayer, and I bumped my head, and I'm good to go, and I'm, I'm now in Jesus, and now I'm on an autopilot, and I can become passive. That's not Christianity. That Christianity is, hey, I've got to aggressively keep moving forward. Hey, I've got, to, I've got to fight with all of my life to hold tight to Jesus. Hey, I've got to refuse to depart. Why? Because he's the life source. And if here's a vine, and I'm the branch, You realize the only way that the branch is ever going to have life within itself is when the life of the vine flows up through the vine into the branch and then produce the fruit. That the the branch cannot bear fruit on its own. A branch cannot have life on its own. A, A branch cannot have anything on its own. The only thing the branch can do is hold tight to the vine. And then the life and the energy and the resource and the power of the vine is going to supply the branch everything that it needs for life and for godliness, to use the 2 Peter 1, 3 passage. Now, get this. In the passage, I find this so interesting. Jesus is talking about this power. He's talking about this life. He's talking about the fact that the Holy Spirit is going to come in you, and it's going to be like the life of the vine coming into your life in the branch. But in the middle of all this, he starts talking about obedience and the commandments. Now, if I was one of the disciples, I would have stopped Jesus. and Jesus, thank you. Thank you. I know I'm supposed to obey, but this is not the right time. Keep telling me about the life of the vine. Jesus, I am. I'm talking about obedience. Just think this through. There is a blessing that comes with the abiding through obedience. In other words, if you're going to abide, it literally demands that you obey. If you're going to hold tight to the, to the vine, it means you're going to have to obey. Look, look at John fifteen verse ten. Verse ten says, "If you keep, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love." That word, therefore, to keep, has this idea of to guard, to attend carefully to, to take care of, to observe. It's not like, all right, Jesus, I'm going to abide in you, and I'm I'm resting, and I'm holding tight to the vine, and then I do whatever I want. See, that, that actually doesn't work in the passage. See, the idea is, Jesus, I, I want to remain in you, I want to hold tight to you, I want to focus on you, I want to, hey, I'm going to refuse to depart from you, which must mean whatever the vine wants in my life, I'm going to have to obey. If I'm going to continue to hold tight to you and refuse to depart. In other words, the only way I can continue abiding in the vine is I have to be obedient to the vine itself. <clears throat> now, get this. There is a blessing of the abiding when we obey. But there is supposed to be an ease of obedience. That obedience is not supposed to be tough. Obedience is not supposed to be hard. Obedience is actually supposed to be easy. And how does that come about? Well, Jesus actually explains it. The ease of obedience comes through love. And of course, we've all experienced this. But you know, as little kids... Right, our parents would tell us to do certain things, and we'd always be like, ah, rah, rah, rah. you know, we, we kind of, we didn't like it. <laughs> so we may have done the action that they wanted us to do, but we did not do it with the attitude we should have done it with. That is completely different than, you know, the parents are out for the night, and uh, you know, the classic illustration is the kitchen, right? The kitchen's a mess, and so you decide, you know what, for mom and dad, I'm gonna, I'm gonna clean the house, and so. You know, you, you clean the kitchen and then you vacuum and you dust and you, know, you do all this stuff. And, and because it's done out of love, you are more diligent to do it. It's actually more fun. You're actually really excited to see their expression when they walk in the house and, like, whoa! You know, like, how did this all get clean? That actually, uh, obedience becomes easy. Now, I'm not saying that it's like, ooh, that was simple. That's not what I'm saying. But there is an easiness to obedience, right? What you may have to obey in may be very difficult, but there is an easiness to it when it's done from this position of love rather than a have to. Uh, Listen to John 14, verses 15 through 17. Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Think about this. Jesus says, One of the signs of love for me is that you are going to keep my commandments. Well, how on earth am I going to pull those off? I mean, the standard that Jesus has for us is impossible. And Jesus says, Well, that's easy. I'm going to give you another helper. Well, why is Jesus giving us the Holy Spirit? Well, one of the reasons he gives us the Holy Spirit is so that we can have the empowerment, the grace to obey. So Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. But hey, don't worry. I'm going to fill you with my spirit so that you can obey. So Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, get this, for he dwells with you and will be in you. A few verses later, in verse 23 of chapter 14, Jesus, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him, and again, make our home with him. And that word home is Mone, MONE, which the root of that again is that word abide, minnow. that hey, hey, when you love me and you keep my word, then we're going con- we're going to abide in you and with you, and you're going to be our home. Uh, John says in First John chapter two, uh, so his epistle, First John chapter two verse five and six. He says, "But whoever keeps his word in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. In other words, hey, if we say, well, yeah, he abides in me, well, then his life better be evident through us. Well, that should make sense. That if I'm a branch connected to this vine and it is the life source of the vine that flows into my life, then it is his life that should be seen. Right? It's not that, oh, I have the life of the vine, but I'm going to do whatever I want. It's not, oh, I have the life of the vine, uh, but, but I'm going to have a different nature. Right, That the life and the fruit of the vine should be coming out of the branch. Right, If you had a branch and you connected it to the vine, oh, let me say it this way. If you had an apple tree and the life of the apple tree is, the, is an apple tree, you would not expect to see oranges. Well, why? It's an apple tree. And the branch that is connected to the apple tree is only going to produce the fruit of the tree, the life of the tree. Does that make sense? In other words, the, what comes out of the branch, the life of the branch, should only be a demonstration of the life of the, of the vine itself. With Jesus, then, if I'm connected to Jesus, what you should see in my life is Jesus, not me. I am merely the branch, and it is his life within me that is bringing about his very nature, his very life. And that's exciting because I don't have to try. I don't have to grip my teeth. I can just rest. I can hold tight to him. He can be my focus. I can, I can refuse to depart. And he's going to produce his life in and through me. Now, Jesus says in verse 5, again, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, I, and I in him, bears much fruit. Now, get this. The job description of the branch is not bearing fruit. The job description of the branch, branch, according to chapter 15, is abide. Well, yeah, but there's supposed to be fruit coming out of our life. I know. <laughs> but that's not your job description. Your job description is not producing the fruit. Your job description is to abide. But get this, when you abide, there is going to be a natural result of abiding. What is that? Fruit. In other words, One of the ways we know that you are abiding in Jesus is that there's fruit all over you. So this is not, well, grit your teeth, try to pull this off, you know. Uh, See, I've I've never gone out and looked at trees, you know, or plants, and I've never seen any of them going, ah, you know, trying to produce fruit. See, you don't do fruit. You don't, you know, you don't, you know, struggle and strive to produce fruit. You bear fruit. It is almost like this. It's an effortless, natural result of having the life of the vine and as long as the life is within you hey there will be fruit so the focus then for the branch is not on the fruit the focus on the branch is don't depart from the vine the focus of the branch is hey you better refuse to depart you better cling to you better hold on to hey you better just grip this thing you better be focused intensely on the life of the vine because hey when you do you will produce fruit so yes, there should be fruit coming out of your life, but that should not be your focus. Because the moment you make fruit your focus, you're not abiding. And the people, it's interesting, the people who are like, well, you know, I need to have more love, and so they're trying to be more loving, you realize their life doesn't work. Why? Because they don't have the life within them. But it's amazing, the moment I get focused on the, on the, on, on the vine, Jesus, the moment I refuse to depart from him, the moment I allow his life to come in and through me, oh, look, there's all this fruit. Well, where did this come from? It is merely the natural result of the abiding. Uh, Here's a good question for all of us. What is the fruit that should be coming out of our lives? Uh, Yesterday I was just doing a quick study of fruit uh, and this harvest stuff that should be in our lives as Christians. And uh, I'm not going to read all of this, but I'll just just give you some highlights. Uh, In Romans 1 and John 4, it says that there's this harvest that should be coming out of our lives of those who we lead to Christ and who mature in their faith. In other words, it's that idea that you know, the, uh, the fields are white with harvest. right? They're, they're ready to be harvested. So there should be an aspect of one of the fruit, the realities that come out of our life is those we're leading to Christ. Uh, in Romans 6, uh, verse 22, there's this idea that the fruit uh, that God is working in our life is sanctification uh, and, uh, in other words, it's this idea of personal holiness. It's, it's this attribute of godliness within our life. So what, what is one of the aspects that God is deepening and developing and the fruit that is coming out of us? Well, it's this idea of sanctification, holiness, godliness, that whole thing. And you can read that in Romans 6, 22. Uh, in Ephesians 5, 9, <clears throat> Paul writes that the fruit of the Spirit, or the fruit of the light, is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So, so what should be coming out of your life? Goodness, righteousness, and truth. Uh, Colossians 1.10 uh, says that we are to bear fruit in every good work and in- increasing in the knowledge of God. So every good work that God has established and planned for us and the increasing in the knowledge of who he is is one of these aspects that should be coming out of our life. In Hebrews 13 verse 15, the writer of Hebrews says that literally the fruit of our lips, in speaking about this praise and worship of God, uh, in other words, the the writer of Hebrews is saying, do you realize? dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these should not be in you. That yes, they may have defined your life at once upon a time, but now I'm connected to a brand new life source, which means this stuff is going to go away. This stuff should no longer define my life. This stuff should no longer be a part of who I am. Now there's something brand new taking place. I'm a new creation. Why? Because I have a new life flowing through me. Well, what's going to come out of my life? Paul says the fruit of the Spirit, and by the way, get this, the word fruit is singular. So it's not the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. It's the fruit. In other words, it's one fruit that has all these aspects to it. In other words, it's not like, well, can I pick the love and I'll pick the peace, and I don't, I don't want the self-control part, right? They, they all come as one group. So the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Paul says that should be what is coming out of your life. So you are called to bear fruit, but the focus of our life should not be on the fruit. The focus and job description of the branch is the abiding. Let me give you one other aspect here. It's this idea of the pruning. You realize that a healthy branch should invite pruning, which is miserable, because Proning doesn't feel good. It's not fun. It hurts. Uh, it's, in, it's interesting in this passage, there's like this hidden character, which is the gardener. Jesus brings him up in verse one. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. He's the gardener. And we tend to forget his work because we're focused on the vine and the branch. But it's interesting that the gardener, you realize that the gardener cultivates the garden. He waters the garden. He protects the garden. And anything He's willing to basically do anything that will ensure the health of the garden or the vine. So what is he going to do? Well, he's going to guard the garden against anything that should not be in there. He's going to guard the vine from anything that is producing death. The reason that a gardener or a vine dresser is pruning is so that the branches that are bearing fruit will actually produce more fruit. So the whole purpose of pruning then is more fruit. Now, I know that in our lives, when we go through a season where God is pruning our lives, uh, for example, most of us who are living in this corona craziness right now are feeling pruning. We're, we're feeling the pressure. We're feeling the difficulty. We're feeling the constraints. We're feeling the, right? It, it's, it's, it's causing the, 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 the heat, the intensity is rising up in our life, which is showing the dross. Why? So that God can get rid of it. That's actually a beautiful thing. We should rejoice when God is pruning our life. I was walking around the lake last night with a, a buddy who's in town, and we were talking, and we were just asking how each other were doing. And, and I was telling how this last year has been one of the craziest years of my life. And, and I was just laughing and telling about all the, the finance stories that I had and uh, just all the craziness that was going on. And, and uh, I just said, this has been one of the greatest years. It has been miserable. <laughs> it's been hard. <clears throat> but it's been a lot of fun. Why? Because God's pruning my life. And I actually feel like I'm stronger now dealing with coronavirus than I would have been had I not gone through all this stuff. Uh, at, at Ellerslie, we've gone through four, five, I don't know how many years it's been now, of like George Mueller living, where there's like, we have no resource. We have no finances, and yet God, we see God's faithfulness. So we get to coronavirus, and we're just like, you know, everyone, everyone else in the world is now experiencing what we've experienced for four years, and we're laughing Right? Because we've learned to rejoice in all these circumstances and all these other businesses are, you know, falling apart and they're crying and they're screaming and in fetal position. And we're like, what are you doing? This is it's a great pruning season. Right? And, and it's a lot easier when you have already, you know, when you're going through the pruning season. But you recognize pruning is actually to the benefit of the vine. Now, there's two aspects of the pruning. One is this idea that if you are a healthy branch, he will prune you back so that it'll produce more, produce more fruit. Uh, I have this sort of a rose bush in my backyard. I say sort of because I feel like I should just rip it out. It's, it's, it doesn't really do anything. But <clears throat> but when I got the house, I had this little rose bush, and it had some roses on it, and I was told, make sure every single year you cut that thing back. Well, I know, but I, w- I want to have the roses. So should I just let it keep going and going? No, I was told. Why? Because if I let it keep going and going, then the 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 plant is going to keep producing all this life and it's going to keep sending it to all these places and it actually can't produce beautiful roses like it's supposed to. In other words, it needs to be limited so that the production of fruit is actually more big and beautiful and vibrant. That's the same thing true in your life. That There's things in your life that God wants to prune out of you. Why? So that you actually have more life. So that you can be more abundant. So that you can be more fruitful. So are you willing for him to prune that? But there's also an interesting take in this passage where if you are not producing fruit at all and therefore you're a dead branch, he's just going to rip you out and burn you in the fire. Now, please understand, there is no animosity with the gardener and dead branches. right? There's nowhere in the passage where the gardener is a pyro. right? Where he's looking at all these branches like, ha, 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 I'm going to burn you to death. Right? And he puts them in a big pile, lights it on fire, it's like, burn, baby, burn. right? It has no, there's none of that in the passage. In other words, <clears throat> The issue is, do you have the life or do you not have the life? Are you producing the fruit or are you not producing the fruit? If you don't have the life and you're not producing the fruit, that's fine. But you're no good for you're no good except for fire. So you are gonna be judged. Now, if you do have life and you do have fruit, guess what? You're gonna feel like you're being judged because you get pruning. But it's for your benefit. Does that make any sense? In other words, in the passage. I think there's two things we got to quantify or think through in our life. One is, do I have the life and do I have the fruit or am I a dead branch? Because if I'm a dead branch, in the end, I'm only good for fire. So if I am a dead branch, I I better let Jesus connect me to the vine and let his life begin to produce life in me. But the other side of that is, if I do have life and I am producing fruit, am I willing to be pruned for the sake of bearing fruit? Am I willing to be pruned for the sake of the life of the vine, am I willing to go through difficulty and struggle and hardship and craziness for the sake of life? Is it again? Isn't it interesting that in in the Middle East, the look of the vineyard is actually less important than the health of the vineyard? In other words, do you realize Jesus does not care about your popularity? Jesus does not care about public opinion for you. Jesus does not care if you have you know if, if you're in the right crowd. In fact, are you willing for him to use all that stuff against you to bring about greater health? Are you willing for him to embarrass you? (laughs) Are you willing for him to humble you? Are you willing for him to make you look like the fool, as Paul says, for the sake of Jesus Christ? In other words, he's more concerned about your health than your appearance. I find that so interesting. And anything that hinders the fruit production in your life has to be removed. Which all goes back to this final thought of, you are called to be dependent. You realize that a branch in and of itself, verse 5, can do nothing. You know what the word there, nothing, in the Greek means? Nothing. Jesus is not saying that, apart from me, you will be limited, He's not saying, apart from me, you'll be inconvenienced. He's not saying, apart from me, you'll have a disadvantage. He's not saying, apart from me, you'll be handicapped. He says, apart from me, you are nothing. You can do nothing. You are nothing. In fact, you're only good for fire. You realize that we have to be dependent. So this whole attitude of abiding then is coming to a place of humility where I'm willing to hold tight to the vine. And I must abide, I must depend, I must surrender myself to the will of the vine and allow the life of the vine to flow in and through me. This is not about the branch. This is about the vine. Or as I keep quoting my favorite verse, Romans eleven thirty six: 36, for from him, through him, and to him are all things for his glory. <clears throat> in other words, everything in your life should begin with Christ, be sustained by Christ, and be for the glory of Christ. This is for him and not for you. That the branch is merely to showcase the nature and the life of the vine, not to showcase the life of the branch, because apart from Him you can do nothing. So, ooh, really quick, a couple application points: What is it in your life that needs to be pruned or cut off? Well, what attitudes? What thought processes? What behaviors? What 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 does God need to prune in our lives so that the life of the vine could be more evident, so that the fruit of the vine could be could be more abundant. Uh, number two, another application point is: Is the vine truly everything to us? In other words, are we are we honestly dependent upon the vine? Is he really everything to us? Because a branch, if you recognize that you can do nothing in and of yourself, and you have to, the only life you're ever going to have is with the vine. You would quit struggling and striving and trying to produce this thing, and you would spend all of your effort. Holding tight to that vine, because it is your life source. And you would quit trying to attempt to do stuff. You would just abide by the vine. And the vine would be everything in you and for you. In other words, the vine is everything for you. So really, are, are you refusing to depart? Are you really abiding? Are you, are, are you delighting in obeying the vine? In other words, is obedience a difficulty for you? Is obedience like a, well, I guess I'll have to. Or is obedience actually a joy? Because the only ease in obedience is when you do it in love. And you only find true abiding when you obey. And maybe just one final question for our lives is, what kind of fruit is coming out of our lives? In other words, are we connected to a false vine that, as Paul says in Galatians 5, is producing sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, Divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things of the like—is that—is that what is coming out of our life? Because if so, we have been connected to a false branch, or sorry, a false vine. But if the fruit of your life, what you see coming out of your life, is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control and, and you know a harvest of souls, and you recognize that it says something about your connection. So, what kind of fruit is coming out of your life? I don't know about you, I need Jesus. Well, let's pray. Lord, Lord, I'm not the vine. I'm a helpless branch. I don't have life in and of myself. I cannot bear fruit in and of myself. In fact, my branch doesn't even look that good. It's all knotty and twisted. But Lord, what would it look like if I had the life of the vine flowing through me what would it look like if if this wasn't a struggle and a striving and a look what i can do what if this was a a resting, a holding tight to a remaining focused upon refusing to depart from you and your life through the spirit would just flow in and through me and begin to produce something in and through me that i cannot produce Lord, what if the what if all the marks that used to mark me before i knew you would suddenly i just They wouldn't have a hold on me anymore. That anger would not define me. That sexual immorality would not define me. That that division would not define me. That envy would not define me. Idolatry would not define me. That sorcery or drunkenness or sensuality or strife or jealousy would not define me. You would define me. Because reality is the fruit of the Spirit is merely your life. Because you are love. You are joy. You are peace. You are patience. You are kindness. You are faithfulness. You are gentleness. You are self-control. So Lord, what would it look like if, if if this was not me trying to live my life for you? What if this was you living your life in and through me? What if this really was all about the life of the vine? What if this really was about holding tight to you? What if this really was allowing my life to be pruned and sanctified so that your life and your fruit could be ever more seen in and through me lord i don't know about anybody else but i need that so lord i I freshly give you permission to do whatever is necessary in my life to bring that about and lord i know that you are more concerned about my health and my holiness than you are about my uh, my popularity or public opinion or my appearance So, Lord, if if you need to embarrass me, if you need to break me down, if you need to prune further areas of my life, if you need to, Lord, I just I freshly say have at it. Because I, I want the fullness of the life of the vine. And I want your fruit coming forth just as the natural result of me abiding in you. Lord, we need that. I need that. Lord, thank you that you are the vine. And that we are the branches. And that it is your life that we can rest and live by. And Lord, would you give us a joy and obedience? Thank you for all you're doing in our lives. We love you and your precious, powerful name we pray. Amen.